All right, everyone, welcome to the Above Average Football Fan Podcast for above average football fans and below average football fans who want to learn more about the game, or if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, here we are again for Season 2, Episode 15 of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan. I am here with the man who led the brothers Bowen into the woods and then successfully back out again, Thomas Bowen. Everybody came out alive, Thomas? Everybody made it out alive, and um, I I will tell you that I, I regret to inform you, much like your your master's lottery ticket request every year. You were not voted in to join this year, so you have to try again next year. All right. I will have to just resubmit, resubmit. I'll have to uh, consider some bribes and whatnot um, to see if I can pull that off. So we are here. Uh, we are in rivalry week. And uh, as such, if you're new to the show, typically we do a uh, breakdown of the South Carolina game, a breakdown of the Clemson game, and a game of the week. Well, guess what? It is rivalry week. It is Palmetto Bowl week, and South Carolina and Clemson are going to play each other. So that's going to be our game that we're going to talk about this week. And instead of a game of the week, which there are lots of great games, obviously Ohio State-Michigan has a huge, huge, huge impact on the playoffs and whatnot. But we're going to stick to the Gamecocks and the Tigers because it is a huge rivalry game itself. And we'll take a look around college football. But as always, we're going to start off with my one of my niece's favorite phrases. What the world? Shout out Emory Ockberger. What the world, Michigan State? Like, oh my gosh. Woo! Y'all didn't even get off the bus in, in Columbus, did you? It, it was it was a shellacking, and it was, you know, that was, as I mentioned last week, that was going to be one of my uh, primary noon games. And you blinked, and Ohio State was up three scores. Yeah, it was I- just – I like settled in and was like, all right, here we go. Big 10 hits, do this thing. And then it was like, well, all right, I guess I'll go, uh, you know, run some errands or something. This, this is, uh, this is kind of out of hand. Yeah. I mean, I think we knew, we knew that Ohio state's offense is really clicking now. And we knew also that Michigan state had some issues on defense, but I didn't see that kind of just domination. And I didn't see them being able to completely shut down Kendall Walker or Kenneth Walker, excuse me, the way that they did, but they it was just a, a complete game on all in all three phases. Yeah, Ohio State came out, and you know it's one of those chances that you want to make a statement. National television, big, I think they call it big noon kickoff or whatever for the big yeah. ten on Fox, and and uh, you know just or maybe that was on ABC, I don't remember, but it was a big big conversation, and you come out and you blow their doors off. So another what the world. Speaking of Ohio State, who a team that did show up in Columbus, but then last week had a tough time. What the world, Oregon Ducks? Oh what? man, that you, you know. And I, I thought I was never. I'll admit, I, I was the, the entire season. I've never been fully sold on Oregon. Now I will admit, part of that is is me not really watching a ton of their games and really keeping sure. up and really getting down in the in the nitty-gritty on that. But should, yeah. I wasn't fully sold on them. This past weekend just just firmly supplanted that, that, I mean, they just got dominated also all over the ball. So now Oregon's got some work to do to get to where they need to be starting with this weekend against Oregon State. They've got to win that game to uh, – They've got to win that game to to clinch the North, the Pac-12 North. Otherwise, it's going to be even more chaos. Well, as they say in Game of Thrones, the North remembers. Um, <laughs> well, well played. Uh, so, one last what the world, uh, and it relates directly to the game we're going to be talking about the majority of the time today, South Carolina Clemson. What the world, Wake Forest Demon Deacons? Wow. Wow! Wow! Yeah, yeah, and and I will admit I was I was dead wrong last week. What I said that Clemson should do to attack that offense, Venables did exactly the offense, right. and, uh, the a- exact opposite, mm-hmm. and just blew it up. I mean, the first I think the first play from scrimmage was a sack for a loss, and then they were just living in the backfield the whole time. And I started thinking about it, and and I heard someone on a local radio show mention this also that you know if you look back. If you look back to some of the earlier Dabo and Venables days at Clemson where Georgia Tech and Paul Johnson's triple option offense would give them fits, right. Venables, 
Venables figured that out and ended up shutting them down. I think Venables has figured out this slow mesh option yeah. RPO too and just blew it up all yeah. day long. Well, to me, I've always thought to myself in that, and I, and I like that offense, and I talked a lot about it last week, so I'm not trying to reverse course and be like, oh, that offense isn't any good. My, my only hang-up has always been your line better be pretty doggone good. If, if yeah. you're going to hold that mesh point forever, it better be a pretty good thing. Um, so, you know, that is something that is, uh, you know, craziness. But, you know, as we get ready for South Carolina Clemson, the question has got to be how good is Wake? What does that mean? Um, and, and we'll get into that when we get to South Carolina Clemson. Let's take a look around college football and look at some of the other storylines. And, Thomas, you and I, I think, instantly texted about this um, after the Ohio State game. We got to see UGA versus Ohio State at some point. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I want to see that. I want to see that matchup. Everybody – talks about Georgia's dominant defense and how, well, have they really been tested this year? And I think there's some merit to those arguments, but if, if they want to, if they want to shut up all the doubters, then they need to go and shut down Ohio state's offense, which I just think that would be a massive game. And I would be wildly fired up to see that matchup. Right. Right. No, I agree. And, and I just, you know, not to ever want to go back to the BCS bowl game that type, you know, away from playoff, but I just, I want that game to happen. You know, granted they got to take care of business and do what they're supposed to do. And if they do, they'll, they'll, they'll play in the national championship or a semifinal game, whatever the case may be. But daggum, we have got to see those two football teams play each other um, because that's, they've kind of cleared their, their path as being the two best. Speaking of two best, We've been asking all season. We kind of put Kenneth Walker III as a, a lead candidate for the Heisman after they went over Michigan. But now you got to think that it's uh, uh, C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young of Alabama. C.J. Stroud of Ohio State. I mean, they had huge – I mean, Bryce, they've both been playing well all season, Bryce Young in particular, but they, they had huge games. Now, we'll say – Alabama had a little bit of a struggle win against Arkansas, whereas – and Arkansas is not a bad team, whereas uh, Ohio State and C.J. Shroud went out there and just stomped on Michigan State. Yeah, and I think I, think I would probably give the edge to C.J. Shroud here, just the, the way that he just – just manufactures points and he was just he's so dialed in and he's just so borderline flawless the way that he's running that offense <clears throat> excuse me I think you know Bryce Young his, his time is going to come he's a very young guy and he is playing out of his mind but I'm giving the edge to CJ Stroud here because it is just unbelievable to watch him and watch him throw those bombs putting them on a dime commanding the offense making reads checking out he looks like a next level quarterback at this point, which I think that's what a Heisman winning quarterback needs to be. I agree. I agree. He he was impressive. Just just all kinds of impressive. Um, all right. Next big storyline here that I've got on our notes. Dan Mullen officially out at Florida. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you love to see it. You love to see it. Okay, you know, I, I got to point out though, it's, and I've been texting with with a buddy of mine who's a who's a Florida alum and diehard fan, and I've been texting back and forth with him some this week talking about it. And you know, he said if you would have told me, you know, six months ago that at this point we'd be looking for a new head coach, I would I would call you crazy. And, and I don't I don't blame him either because Mullen's record at Florida, thirty four and 69 percent winning percentage. That is the highest winning percentage of any Florida coach not named Spurrier or Meyer since nineteen twenty four. Which just goes to show you how insanely difficult that job is, and how the expectations for that coach are insanely through the roof. I don't know. I would never want to coach there if I was a big time coach. Well, and and you know, you bring that up, and it's a great point. The man took him to the SEC East Championship last year, played a, a you know daunting Alabama team in the in the Atlanta, and they gave him an extension. Now they're going to pay him twelve million dollars to go away. Like what? Yeah, yeah, is and but but you know the 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 boosters there at Florida they don't care they they don't care about money they just want to win and they want to win now and I think it's kind of been a lot of people 
the the apologist for Mullen like to say like to point out his record and the good things he's done there but I think it goes a lot deeper than that you and I have talked about this before but it 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 kind of started rolling downhill with this whole comment about like uh, we'll worry about recruiting when we're right. in recruit season we're in the season right. right now and and you we've talked about that before you just can't have that mindset so I think that kind of started the ball rolling right. and then. Whenever they came out against us, I think that really picked up things. And then the Sanford game, they won, but honestly probably should have lost that. So I think it's a culmination of everything, and he doesn't he doesn't recruit well, and I think he's pissed off a lot of the wrong people down there. Right. He just didn't do himself any favors. He didn't. And you mentioned their boosters and fans and delusional, and, and not that they're delusional. They've, you know, they've been still very good. But, you know, it does feel very much like LSU. You know, I mean, 2019 wasn't that long ago, and Ed Orgeron – uh, you know, managed to wear his welcome thin pretty quick and he's gone. So, I mean, two places that, you know, are open and they look like prime jobs. They're going to give you all the money in the world. They're going to give you this, that, and the other. And teams and kids know who you are as a team. They want to come play for you. But, man, it's win or go home. Yeah, yeah. And I think, gosh, I think now when I think, thinking back, so LSU – between Orgeron and I guess Les Miles. So had they fired two national championship winning coaches in the last, what, 10 years, 10, 12 years? Yep. I'm pretty sure. It's insane. Yeah. Pretty sure. I would love to have that luxury. That would be so nice, wouldn't it? And then you got <laughs> the uh, Texases of the world that still think Mac Brown and, and Vince Young won the Super Bowl not that long, our Super Bowl national championship not that long ago. But, you know, the, things are different in Austin. Things are yeah. different in Austin. So, Speaking of all of these changes and things and, and playoffs, uh, we are recording early this week because of Thanksgiving break. I uh, hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving. But so this is Tuesday. The college football playoffs have not come out yet. Our playoff rankings have not come out yet. Thomas, you know, Oregon losing. And, you know, you finally see Cincinnati throttle somebody. Does, does Cincy finally find its way into the top four? I, th- I think they have to. I, I really, if, oh man, there's going to be a lot of pissed off people in Cincinnati if they're not. But I think you have to because, like you said, Oregon's out of there, out of the top four. And then, you know, Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, they handle business. Right. And then you've got to put Cincinnati in there. Honestly, it should probably be Georgia one, Ohio State two. This is where I get hung up between Bama right. and Cincy. Honestly, Cincy should be at three because they are undefeated. I don't know if the committee is going to let them jump Bama, but then after that, you've kind of got a a log jam of Notre Dame, Michigan, Oklahoma state in there. And it's now, again, as we've talked about, a lot of those things are going to shake itself out, but man, that Oregon. And I think we said it last week, Oregon losing was the best thing for Cincinnati coupled with them throttling SMU last week. Right. Exactly. Um, So you and I are both, fans of agents of chaos let's play out a hypothetical scenario here coming into next saturday saturday we're coming to discuss let's say michigan beats ohio state so now you got a two loss ohio state team a one loss michigan team and let's say since he goes out and takes takes you know takes them out again and, and does what they need to do and i think if i'm remembering correctly if ohio state loses they're out right they're not playing in the big 10 championship Correct? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, yeah. So Yeah, they lose to Michigan, yeah, 100%. So then Michigan's going to have to take come in in that role. And, you know, then Cincinnati. And then I guess the other chaos is, let's say Cincinnati slips and loses. So now who's, who's, you know, there's conceivably, conceivably with the dominoes falling a certain way, you could have an all-SEC Big Ten Final Four where you could end up, as you could end up Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, Michigan. Yeah, but I think you know you also you can't forget about Notre Dame who's sitting at ten and one, and right. Oklahoma State. Assuming if Oklahoma State takes care of Oklahoma this weekend and goes on to win their conference championship, it's going to be tough to leave out a, a one-loss Oklahoma State as well. Right, I agree. I agree. Um, so I mean, that's just going to be. You know, again, it'll be how the dominoes fall. Um, you know, that Michigan game and Ohio State game is going to be very, 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 very important. Go ahead. But I will say that going back to Oklahoma State, so obviously between Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, they're gonna they're gonna eliminate one of themselves this right. weekend. But right. 
I'm not convinced entirely that a one-loss Big 12 champion would pass an undefeated Cincinnati. Right. I just I put a lot of emphasis on record. You play the people that are on your schedule, and if you're undefeated, you've got to be rewarded for that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's just going to be interesting. I, I a part of me, and and I, I really don't want this to happen. And then they go in there and lay an egg. So if they make it, I really want them to play well. I want Cincinnati to get the chance. If they go undefeated, and they like you just said, they beat everybody they play. They deserve to be recognized for that. So, but I don't want it to be, you know, one Georgia, two Ohio State, three Bama, four Cincy. And so since he gets to play Georgia and Georgia, Georgia throttles them. And yeah, and I think, yeah. I mean, because I mean, I think that's going to happen. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, I mean, that that's my big thing uh, that I'm concerned about um, happening with Cincinnati. But you know, I guess we got to see how the dominoes fall, as they say. Uh, you know, Thomas, what are are there any other big, big things there you want to talk about? You had mentioned Notre Dame. You know, they're ten and one. Um, they they can sneak in there. God, I don't know that I would like that at all. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely would not like that in there. Uh, you know, I'm not not to be biased here. I'm, I'm not a Notre Dame fan for for myriad reasons over the years, but. Um, <sighs> I'm really torn on this because I'm like you. If, if Cincinnati's in there, I, I'd like for him to put up a hell of a fight. Right. But I just don't – I don't see them getting up past number four. So I'm pretty sure unless Georgia loses in Atlanta that they're going to be playing Georgia. And I think Georgia would just smoke them off the field. Yeah. And then, you know, depending on how the rest of it shakes out – I, I don't know, man. I just – I look at uh, – assuming Georgia takes care of business in Atlanta, so Bama is two loss. Right. And then you've got – if you've also got if, – if Ohio State takes care of business this weekend, championship game, they're one loss. Cincinnati's undefeated. Right. And then you've got – if you still got a one loss, Oklahoma State or Notre Dame – I don't see how you can put a two-loss Bama ahead of them. So I think I just talked myself into saying we could be looking at Bama being left out of the playoffs. It's possible. Yeah, that's 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 true. That's true. Um, yeah, I mean that that could happen. I mean, it, yeah, the the game in Atlanta in in two weeks is going to have a huge huge say so in what happens here because you're exactly right a two loss Bama team and Bama has not Bama is very good Bama is I'm not trying to dog Bama obviously they are a very good football team but this is not last year's Bama this is not the Bama that we've seen in the past this this defense is not a Nick Saban lights out they're going to hit you in the mouth defense um but so I mean I don't see how they um I don't see how they could get in at two losses. I just don't. Um, yeah. Because A&M also hasn't gone – ever since A&M beat them, it's not like A&M went on some huge roll. Right. So, I mean, it's kind of the who beat you, you know, what's that look like um, on the schedule type thing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you losing, you know, to a, a top-notch team, let's say it was, you know, Auburn of years past where they've had really, really good teams and, you know, they lost to them in the Iron Bowl or something like that. That's a different situation. So, yeah, you're exactly right. So, in order for really anything major to happen, Bama needs to beat Georgia. But if Bama does lose to Georgia, then that will throw some things out of whack. Like, holy moly, we'll have some interesting, you know, <laughs> that, which, I mean, let's be honest. And I know Georgia fans are just sitting, like, praying that they don't have this shoe to drop, you know, uh, just it, the nightmare finally happens. You know, they have steamrolled everybody they've played. They got to be expecting to steamroll uh, Bama when they get there in in Atlanta. And if they don't, goodness gracious. And I mean, Georgia's in. Georgia's in. They're going to, you know, they got to beat Georgia Tech, obviously, and, and then go beat. Um, I mean, Georgia Tech just got shut out by Notre Dame. So, you know, it, all that. But if they were to lose that, ooh, that SEC championship game, that would make for some interesting decisions uh, to the, for the committee. So, all right. Now, Let's get to the rivalry game that matters the most to us. Uh, I was thinking about this today, Thomas. You know, obviously, you and I are from the state of South Carolina. Went went to South, went to University of South Carolina. This is a huge rivalry to us. 
you know, and there's always been the discussion of national prominence and, and where does it fit? You know, during the Spurrier years, when we had great teams and Coach Sweeney was starting to get his great teams, it kind of became a, a bigger deal. But right now, you know, and in the past couple of years when we haven't been that great, where where do you put us? I mean, obviously, let me, let me backtrack even further. Who's your number one college football rivalry? What what game is it? <sighs> I, for me, I think it kind of changes from year to year because, like you said, with, with teams being up and down, it's a rivalry should be a rivalry regardless. Right. But when you've got, you know, Texas, Texas A&M, when Texas sucks, that, that's not that fun or, or Oklahoma, Bedlam, any of those games. But, and Georgia, Georgia Tech rivalry, that hasn't been fun for a while. Florida, Florida right. State, that hasn't been fun for a while. So it's, it's really tough to call. So, I mean, I guess de facto I'm going to go with ours, even though Clemson's beat the crap out of us for the last 100 years. Right. I mean, I think from a national scene, Bama-Auburn's probably been the most watched of the recent years. Michigan, Ohio State, you know, especially this year, Michigan-Ohio State has major, major implications in the Big Ten and the national championship uh, pitcher. So, I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, I, I, if you had to break it into tiers, and this is a whole nother show, I feel like we are kind of the upper tier. Like, people – know of South Carolina Clemson. Unfortunately, the fight back in, I guess, what was that? 17, 07 or whatever it was. Yeah, 117, 2007. Yeah, it was know, like it was like 05 or something. Yeah, it kind of put us on the map there. But, you know, anyway, so we are here to talk about now the Palmetto Bowl as it's become known. Um, the Clemson-South Carolina game, been playing it for a very long time. Clemson is on the road. So as we always do on our show, we will start off with talking about their offense first. You know, I watched a lot of the Wake game, even though Clemson was kind of in control from the get-go because <laughs> Ohio State was drubbing uh, Michigan State. I was able to pay attention to the Clemson game a little bit more. A lot of, lot of play action, which I understand. A lot of play action. They were having a lot of success running Shipley and Pace against Wake. You know, when we get into how South Carolina is going to defend them, I think that's got to be a big focus of stopping the run game. Um, I will say Shipley is not as – shifty as I thought he was going to be. Yeah, he's more of a straight line kind yeah, of guy. He's, he's kind of got that fullback Mike Allstott, I'm going to go right at you, Mon, Dun, Mon Dunson, you know, type type situation. He's, I just butcher his name. I think I did. Um, <laughs> Mon Dinson. Dinson, thank you. <laughs> For those of you who can't see because you're on watching, not watching and you're listening on a podcast, Thomas made a face at me. Um <laughs> So he's just got more of a straight ahead running style, which, you know, in years to come when he's been in a little bit more time in the weight room might serve him well. Right now it's not as, I don't know what I was expecting from him. So you've got Kobe Pace, who also had a good game for them. Big news, you know, against Wake and against South Carolina, no Justin Ross, um, their their best wide receiver right now. Um, the O-line, which had been sort of a, a, a patchwork because they've had some injuries and also struggled at times. Held up much better against Wake. Again, though, how good is Wake? How good is Wake's defensive line is my question there. The one thing I noticed um, that I felt like was slightly different was there was a lot of pre-snap movement by Clemson. They'd line up one way, kind of almost looked like DJ or someone yelled out, shift, and everybody moved. And so, which I, I, I'm a fan of it. You know, I never love giving the defense too long to look at the chess pieces, so to speak, and, you know, like keep catching them on their heels. But that was one thing I noticed, a lot of swing passes, trying to get the ball out in the flats and, and use their athleticism against Wake, who was not as athletic. So, again, the if we're talking about this week against South Carolina, South Carolina and, and Thomas, I don't want to step on what you're going to talk about, but, you know, Tank, Tank Bigsby is, is no, no slouch. Um, thank you, Mike Bobo, for stop, stopping to give him the ball. We really appreciate that here in Columbia. But um, I don't think they do so much in, in Auburn. But he had a big night. Um, you know, Missouri's running back had a big night. So the run defense has been shaky for South Carolina. So if I'm Clemson, I'm establishing the run. I'm, I'm trying to establish the run to get my play action pass going. And then the biggest thing is, and Thomas, you and I have been joking about this really for several weeks now. I think in this game, both defenses are better than the other team's offense. 
as far as talent goes and production goes. So my biggest thing I'm telling DJ, if I'm Tony Elliott, and you don't ever want to make the quarterback second guess himself, but protect the football. We can't have turnovers. We can't give them free field position or free points on a pick six. Like you can't, we can't fumble the ball. You know, that's my biggest thing is as Clemson's offensive staff, if I'm the offensive staff, I'm saying, uh, you know, no, we, we got to protect the football. And that's really what I'd be doing. So at uh, Thomas, look at, looking at Carolina's defense, what are they going to try and do to, to shake up uh, DJ in this offense? You're absolutely right. They, they've had – and I hate it as an as a admitted South Carolina fan that Clemson's offense has, has definitely been better down the stretch here. Um, again, how much of that was is, is Wake Swiss cheese run defense. But – Regardless, they had success running the ball last week, and they've had success with that kind of running back by committee with Kobe Pace and Will Shipley. And so primary key right now absolutely is stop the run and force DJ to throw the ball. Right. If, you can get, if you can get them behind the sticks and you can force DJ to sit in the pocket and have to read a defense – I feel a lot better about the defense's success there. Also last week, as you mentioned, the swing passes – and also a lot of edge runs as well. Um, I think they, they tried some, some A-gap up center runs earlier, and those were getting stuffed. I think Wake was really selling out to hit those A and B gaps inside. Mm-hmm. So that's when they started moving things out on the edges and using their athleticism. So I want my defensive ends to be patient. This, this could be a very, very big game for J.J. Enigbari, and he could make himself a lot of money for it, being in a national spotlight, primetime game like this. But I want those guys to set the edge. You mentioned it also how a lot of pre-snap movement, pre-snap motion. Clemson, Clemson's offense is all the way back to the Chad Morris days and now through Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott. There, there's a lot of window dressing, what we call a lot of pre-snap movements. And a lot of that is exactly just that. It's window dressing. It's, it's, giving, it's giving the quarterback a chance to see, all right, who's in man coverage, who's in zone, moving things around, trying to get that numbers mismatch on one side or trying to give you an advantage on one side. So I, I won't, I want my, my secondary and my linebackers to not get sucked inside with a lot of that. Additionally, because of those swing passes and them trying to get the run game to the edges, I'm going to roll my safeties down, yeah. put them in the box. I want to load that box up, give them that run support. Also, Clemson's offense has been more, particularly with DJ, they, they finally, I, I think Tony Elliott might have been listening to our podcast some. He's taking <laughs> your advice giving him those high percentage throws, those slants, those inside underneath routes. So it, it's, it's, it's a double advantage rolling those safeties down because you're going to get more run support, but they're also going to be able to cut off those underneath routes. Mm-hmm. I, want to bring, I want to bring early pressure with some inside blitzes, bring yeah. some cornerback edge blitzes. DJ's a little banged up. Um, Shipley is even a little banged up too, so I want to hit them early, hit them hard. Mm-hmm. I'd really like to see last week we talked about uh, Ohio State, and I saw them do this too multiple times. Those hot coverages, yep. and they had a lot of success with it against Michigan State. I'd like to see South Carolina run some of that. You're going to kill two birds here because it's going to slow down that running game, but it also is going to give DJ trouble making reads as that zone coverage slides around the field. Mm-hmm. Be physical on the outside. I would like to see some press man early. You know, you mentioned uh, Justin Ross is out and God is out. Um, I think EJ Williams is back in the lineup this week, but their receiver core is, is definitely depleted too. They've got some young experience out there, but you know, I want to hit them early. You don't run a, you don't want to run man all night against this team because eventually they'll blow the top off. But if you can press man early and make them work for it, back off, run your defense, sit and cover three quarters coverage. The, the last thing I want to talk about though, with South Carolina's defense against Clemson is environment. This could be an X factor. Without a doubt, I don't know other than maybe that opener against Georgia, this will absolutely be the most hostile environment Clemson has come into this weekend. You've got a night game at Williams-Brice, nice and cold, good football weather. After last week, the fans are excited. They've got something to cheer for. So that could really be an X factor and look at – you want to look at when things get really loud, particularly on third down, look at the communication issues between DJ and the receivers and the running backs and the offensive line. That could really be a problem for them. 
Absolutely. And you touched on something that I, I should I had in my notes and, and skipped over that for Clemson, they need to use DJ in the run game. Uh, even though he is banged up, they're going to need to use him in that run game to, to do some things. You know, just some thoughts I had on our defense. And again, everything you said was spot on. You hit the first thing I was going to say. This is a chance for JJ and Ibarre to have a huge game, a huge game. And if I'm Clayton White, I'm getting creative and turning him loose. Even if that means we roll our linebackers or shift our linebackers in a way that whatever side he's on, they've got that linebacker behind him's got more of that contain type thing. And we're just letting JJ chase the ball. Like I've turned that man loose, take the, take the reins off of him and let him run. Um, Brad Johnson and it's Damani. Is that how I say it? Staley? Yeah. Damani. You're on it. Damani. So I was at the game on Saturday, uh, by the way, BB's two and O my daughter in a game she's attending. She's going on Saturday. I'm just saying you bet. She better be there this weekend. She, she, she will be there. Um, they, when they are, come, when they are able to come downhill, when they are able to have like a, a step, even they are such effective linebackers when they have to get let lateral, they, they, that's where their feet are a little heavy. So, I mean, I'm almost sending them, like I'm almost shifting, like giving them a gap and, and shooting those gaps. If it, even if it is taking one of them off the edge to the wide side, they are better in motion. They, let's just be honest about this fact. They aren't the two fastest linebackers in the country. So they're, they need to be used more in run than in pass protection or pass coverage, in my opinion, which brings me to my next point. So, Thomas, you and I talked about this once before. Clayton has used this. It's a cover three, but by you take that other safety and your, your nickel player since we're a 4-2-5, and they're kind of rovers. They're kind of doing whatever they want to do. So you may take – if it's the safety, you may take RJ, and he's kind of roving the middle. And so you can send the two backers and let him kind of make up for that issue and then have your, your um, automatic – uh, extra DB out there to the wide side to try and cover that spread, that, that swing stuff, because I'm just going to be honest. If we're trying to stop that swing stuff with Johnson and Staley, that ain't going to go well. No, no. Particularly no. to the wide side of the field is that's my big fear. So those are just some thoughts I had there. The one last thing I'll say is yes, give DJ those easy throws in the middle. But if I'm Carolina, I'm trying to take those away and anything outside of the hash. I want to say, DJ, if you're going to beat us passing, it's going to be in that intermediate third of the field between the hashes, that area between the linebackers and the safeties, because when he misses, he misses high. It's more of his ball misses high. That's going to lead to tipped balls, and that can lead to interceptions. Carolina and Jalen Foster in particular have had a great job this season of, of catching balls on the ricochet and making them interceptions. That has got to be a big thing for the Gamecocks this, this Saturday if they're going to win this football game. So I'm my alignment at DB is I'm pushing everybody to the middle. I'm pushing. I'm not giving up out routes. I'm not giving up anything to the out. I'm making – beat me with posts. Beat me with curls long curls, you're going to have to beat me inside because when he misses, he misses high. I think a part of that is his knee being hurt. So that was just my couple two cents there on that. Carolina's offense, you know, again. So, you know, I've been saying this to people all day today. You know, people keep saying, I think Carolina's got a chance on Saturday. It depends what team shows up. And in reality, it depends on what offense shows up. And I guess to take it even further, what offensive play caller shows up? Is the guy who played called plays against Florida and Auburn going to be the guy calling plays? Or is the guy who called them against Missouri, Tennessee, and the like going to be calling plays? I'm not getting into internet rumors about play calling responsibilities. I'm just saying what happened, let's assume that it's Marcus Satterfield, was the progression I've wanted to see from him all season long. That first touchdown to Zaquandre Wright on the, the little leak out, almost like a screen in a way, we've been setting that up all year. We've been Nobody was over there. Auburn wasn't even looking over there, and there's a touchdown. I mean, that was a play he had in his back pocket, or somebody did, the whole season, and they pulled it out when they needed it. I, that's what we've been wanting to see. Also, from what I could tell, Douglas was calling coverages or calling the pass pro again. Absolutely. I noticed he, that as well. He, he was not, you know, Brown was not involved in that. If I'm giving Brown 
any sort of audible is the old school switch. Like, let's say we got counter right called and we look over at the right side and we don't like what we see. They got a whole lot of bodies over there and we want to switch it. You know, when I've done it in different systems, we would say silver, silver, that's switch or orange, orange, that's opposite. And so, you know, just flip it. You know, if you're supposed to be running counter right, flip it to left. You know, if it's even if it's zone, if it's supposed to be outside zone right, take it to outside zone left if you don't. But even still, I, I don't want to get too involved in that. Let's just call it and haul it, as, as they like to say. Um, also, duo and counter, Coach, uh, Coach Beamer hit on it. That was our two bread and butter plays in the second half. I mean, that was what we were going to do. That was what we were going to do, man, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Right side of the line uh, runs. They're getting extra back our tight ends over there. Man, we mashed some dudes on some stuff there. Straight up mashed guys in some in the run game on the right side of the ball. Now, while we're talking about the right side of the offensive line, Thomas, I, I imagine you know where I'm going. <laughs> I, I'm sure this guy is is working his tail off. He is a red shirt freshman. Uh, Tyshawn Watermaker, number 62, our right tackle, which I believe, if my research is correct, was recruited as an interior lineman. So I want to be fair to this guy that this is not his natural position. Uh, he is in replace uh, replacement of, of Dylan Wadham, who's been injured. My dude, I was sitting in the end zone uh, for this game. My dude struggled in, in pass pro. And Auburn knew it. They were they had offset lines all day. They had over high linebacker linebackers. They were they were basically saying, okay, you want to throw the ball, you're gonna to have to block this guy's gonna to have to block somebody. And it was a struggle. And I'm not dogging the guy. He was given everything he had. He was going to his coach after every series. He'd be like, what do I do? It was just a struggle for him. And again, I don't think he's uh, you know, I think he's he was recruited as an interior lineman. And I want to say something good about him too. My dude is a run blocking mauler. On second and 11, go look at this on a YouTube replay. Second and 11 at the Carolina 32, seven minutes, 49 seconds left in the third quarter. We ran a screen with with Z White, and he didn't just pancake somebody. Thomas, we used to call that in the offensive line room a freight train because he freight trained somebody. He ran them over like he was on tracks. But his number 99 for Auburn. I've been calling out our boys, so I'm going to call out number 99 from Auburn. You got owned owned out there on uh, uh, on that screen my concern is Wanamaker's got to block KJ Henry 6'4 260 from Clemson a lot if and in pass pro we're going to have to get tight ends and backs or somebody over there to help somebody over there to help we'll talk about Jason Brown Jason played a great game except for that first interception early on Thomas call me crazy now again I was sitting in the end zone and he was. I'll give. I'll, I'll say one thing. He was locked in on Van. That was where he was throwing the ball, hell or high water. I did not see the safety in the middle of the field either. When Van broke in on the post, I was like, "Oh, touchdown!" And he's clear. I'm. I'm not joking you. I don't know what the field level would have looked like, but you know, Auburn was in all white, white pants, white shoes, everything. I swear to goodness. The in, for my height of where I was sitting, I couldn't see that guy because he was in the white of our letters in our end zone. It was like he was a freaking camouflaged. Now, yeah. granted, at the field level, that might not have been the case, but that's I was like, who, who was that? Where did he come from? And then I finally saw the replay, and I was like, oh, okay. But after that, great plays. That throw to Josh Van in the end zone late in the game, ro- rolling to his left, that's a hard throw to make, man. That is a hard, hard throw to make. And I'm not saying this, Thomas. You know I like to not go too far with my comparisons. This came straight from J.C. Horn, former Gamecock, current Carolina Panther, tweeted out a young Patrick Mahomes. Just saying what <laughs> J.C. said. Just saying well, what my man said. Well, well, uh, I guess I guess to your point, and Jason Brown said this himself, that that was a straight-up pretty much improv play. Like, he felt that pressure and slipped out from it. And Van, they were essentially on the same page, so Van felt it too, and they just rolled with it. So from that perspective, yeah, Mahomes is probably one of the best imp- improvisation quarterbacks in the league, so sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so getting into Carolina's game plan this week against this very good Clemson defense – and you talked about venerables earlier. The man's a football junkie. I, 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 and so are all of his army of, of GAs and, and folks. When they're not trying to steal signals, they're watching film. Nice game. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I see what I did there. Um, so they're going to be they're going to be coming. He likes to bring the heat. We know that about him. We talked about it all season long. We hadn't shown very much to say we can't handle the heat very well. So you're going to need to get a tight end or a back over there to help on pass pro with uh, Watermaker. Also, for the first time that I can remember, really in a very long time, our screen game against Auburn was really good. Yeah. And it needs to be really good tomorrow on Saturday. It needs to be really good to have get Z White the ball on those screens and and he can make some things happen. And and so can Kevin Harris, quite honestly. So can Kevin Harris. Um and Juju for that matter. Now, one other thing, the Wildcat. We used it a little bit, not as much in the past. I, I personally like uh Joiner a lot. Dak's a great, great, great kid. And he's he's made some plays. He gets he gets dogged by fans a lot. I think he doesn't get the credit he deserves. But the one thing I will say he's not particularly good at is this wildcat stuff, man. He he if he has the ability to read, I don't know if that's all a fake, but like if he's got the ability to read to make that decision, um uh then he's not doing it very well. So I'd be switching Juju has run it, he ran a touchdown with it, I think against Florida. I'd I'd put him back in that wildcat. That's a great way to get him some hand some some touches during a game where he's really been lacking for touches lately. Um, speaking of guys lacking touches, EJ Jenkins, can we please get this monster the football? Like, <laughs> how are we not doing this? Target this man. Like, if this was Steve Spurrier, Thomas, you remember we used to joke towards the end of Spurrier's tendency or um, um, time here at Carolina. When we got in the red zone, we all knew at least on, on first through third and goal, at least one of those is a fade. At least one of those is a fade, especially when we had Sydney and Alshon and, and the like. Throw the fade to this guy. He's six foot seven, 200 and close to 40 pounds. Uh, Clemson's defensive backs are at six feet or under, and everybody's under 200 pounds. He can bully them. Now, if you don't want to throw the fade, maybe that's not your bag. I saw some air raid concepts. We ran mesh with, with um, uh, EJ and Muse on a long third down where Muse almost got it. The right throw would have been to go to EJ there. I'm sure he gave his buddy Jason Brown a hard time there. But here's the thing. I want to see all verts. Air raid staple. I want to see four verts. Going to have to give some help on the right to get time to get this ball off. Clemson Thomas loves to run a single high safety. If they got one high safety, four, four verts needs to be a switch real quick and get it to EJ. Get it to EJ. And even if you want to do it as three verts, and leave a guy in to block again on that right side. If he's one on one, if he's one on one at six seven two forty, and he's getting covered by a guy who's six six foot two hundred, throw it up and let him go get it. Try, like Randy Moss used to say, they can't jump with me. Like they can't jump with him. Get him the ball. So Thomas, I've been ranting and raving for a while now. What's Clemson going to do to try and shut down this now? You know, I like the fact that both Carolina and Clemson seem to be playing some of their best football coming into this game, which hasn't always been the case in this rivalry. What's Clemson going to do to try and stop this momentum that Carolina's bringing in? Yeah, and I want to give um, just a, a little bit of a, a little primer on you. You mentioned earlier that um, against Auburn, and, and Beamer mentioned it that we we ran the same play over uh, the same two plays over and over and over again. And he's right, and that was the counter and the duo. Um, but just because I dug into it a little bit this week, and and I want people to understand that when when Beamer says we ran the same two plays over and over again. He doesn't necessarily mean that it's the same formation, the same personnel, the exact same thing. So I wanted to give, and and please jump in and and add here where where I'm I'm deficient on anything, but I wanted to really dig in, being more of a defensive guy, to to understand uh, duo, Mm because I've never really understood duo and exactly how it works, but just to give our listeners some things to look for when you're identifying duo versus inside zone counter is pretty easy because you can see that counter step but a lot of times we run that counter basically based off of an inside zone run but very briefly here duo is a gap scheme run you've talked about that for hat on a hat mashing people that's easy to look for because we did that particularly on the right side of the line where it's hat on a hat just mashing guys down the field where you've got inside zone which of course is more of a zone gap scheme but the duo 
is going to be run pretty much exclusively to the side the tight end is on. That inside zone can go back and forth either side, but in the in the inside zone, the back is going to take an angle toward the play side. Mm-hmm. He's going to be reading that front side defensive tackle all the way back to the linebacker. Right. On the flip side, the duo is is the running back is straight downhill and he's running he's reading that middle linebacker. That's right. Center's going to work front side on inside zone, mm-hmm. backside on duo. Just yep. some brief keys to look for so you can sit around the tailgate, sit around your friends like, oh, they're running duo or they're running inside zone here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, which is a perfect segue into this, so Clemson defending this offense, blitz, blitz, blitz. I am going to blitz the crap out of this offense. Very similar to what they did against Wake last week. I'm going to bring A-gap blitzes. I want to shut down – those inside zone runs. But as I mentioned earlier, when I was telling you about some of the differences between inside zone and duo, if South Carolina starts attacking my weak side where I've got a numbers disadvantage with that inside zone, I'm going to adjust to an under front. We've talked about under and over fronts before. In an under front, your defensive line is shifted away from the tight end. So if your backside away from the tight ends get attacked, you're going to shift over there. Venables is is famous for for running under fronts. He's a master at it. So look for some of those under fronts where that defensive line is going to be shifted away from the tight end. Um, You know, South Carolina really only has, particularly if if Leggett is still – still banged up. You've got Van at wide receiver. If he starts hurting you, you can put bracket coverage on him. We've talked about that before, which is essentially a double team with your DB and your safety on the back end there. I don't want Van to get behind the DBs. But a huge key for Clemson this week is living in the backfield and blowing up those run plays. If you last week was a perfect example against the uh, in the Auburn game, if you give South Carolina's running backs time to let those plays develop, they're very patient. They're going to find those creases. Mm-hmm. So Quandre White, let's talk about what a beast he has been. And I don't want people to forget the, the, the crazy path he has taken to get to where he is. High-level recruit out of high school, goes to Florida State. They move him to linebacker, transfers to Iowa Western. He's the top-rated running back out of JUCO there. Then signs with us. We moved him to safety last year, and here we are. And he is arguably the best running back on our team right now. He runs like a man on a mission. Yeah, he runs angry, and I and I like it's just. And we've talked about it before. He runs like it's his last chance to carry the ball. Yeah, he he, he runs like they're going to not let me do this again. So I'm going to get every single yard I can out of it. Yeah, and, and I definitely respect that, and, and it's fun to watch running backs like that. And you can tell, we've talked about this too, that they they feed off of the energy of the offensive line. When that offensive line is playing well and clicking and just moving guys, they just feed off that energy. Right. Finally, from, from a Clemson defensive standpoint, I would feel very confident, as much as Venables likes to, to run a single high safety and then sometimes roll quarters coverage, I'm going press man coverage this week. I'm, we, we've always talked about one of the dangers of, of – of uh, of blitzing guys is you're worried about your DBs being on islands out there, man coverage. If I'm Clemson, I, I'm not worried about that because those blitzes that we know Venables is going to bring, they're going to get home. So it's really going to be from a South Carolina perspective is how to minimize that and at least get some time back there. But this this could be this could be like a six to three type game. Honestly. Yeah, absolutely. So real quick to drop back for a second, you were talking about duo and how you can recognize the difference as a fan. And this is hard to see unless you are watching from behind. Um, but if you're in the end zone and uh, at the stadium or whatever, you get an end zone view from the TV, which is rare. If when you're running zone, everybody is stepping as a unit in the same direction that's that's part of the rules of it because if you don't do it that way it's going to get screwed up when you're running duo you hit it the nail on the head thomas watch the center he is going to step back if the if if the flow seems to be going right he's going to step left to double team on the back side yep. um so you're that's one of the best ways you can tell is it duo or is it or is it inside zone um and you know you hit on a point here's my thing again going back to ej you said play press man coverage if you're venables great Press your six foot, 189 pound, tiny little DB up against my monster, and I'm gonna let him throw you out of. I'm gonna throw him out of the way. I'm gonna give him the ball. Throw him the ball. Just try. Just try to throw it to him once. And like you said, 
you know, you can you can do this. That's fine. You know, the, the blitz, you know, our package have been great. Set him up. EJ put him off the line of scrimmage in a stack type role where they can't jam him. And I'm, I'm letting him go behind almost an early rub route off, the, off, yeah. off the line of scrimmage. Josh Van's in front of him. Van's going to really look like he's running the, the, the slant, but really what he's trying to do is, is collide that DB, let big old EJ get kind of a wheelish release down the sideline and, you know, one step rock and throw. Like, go to him. Just please try it. Like, I swear to goodness, he's unless he's got frying pans for hands, which we've seen he doesn't, he just threw it to him. Like, call a designed play. You know, Spurrier had designed plays. His One of his most favorite plays is Mills. That play was named after a player at Florida that he ran, or maybe Duke, that he ran it for. He designed it for have plays when we had Alshon, when we had Sydney, when we had, you know, guys like that, we had plays designed to go to them. Josh Van, you can't tell me we don't call plays with Josh Van in mind. Right. I mean, as we should, he's our best wide receiver. Do that for EJ. And I don't want to hear, he doesn't know the nuances. Give him three flipping routes to run. Jump ball. Give him a jump ball. Hey, EJ, you're going in vertical. Get up tall and get it like it's a rebound. He's a former basketball player. All right. I'm just not, I could rant for hours on why that guy doesn't have 60 catches this year. Um, all right, Thomas, this is tough to do the who you got section because you and I, we both know, or anybody who's listening to this show, even if this is your first time listening, we want it to be South Carolina. We are South Carolina fans. This is our biggest rival. We want to beat Clemson. I want to beat Clemson. You want to beat Clemson. The line came out, which was much bigger than I anticipated at 14. I've seen it some places drop all the way down to 11 and a half. Yeah, that's about where it is now. I'm going to say, I, I can't not say I want the Gamecocks win, so I do. At the very least, I'm going to say we cover. That's where I'm going to take the cop out and say we cover. Thomas, <laughs> who, who do you got? That is the definition of all of all cop outs. Um, I, I do agree with you that uh, I think South Carolina could cover, could cover, and I'm sure this is this is probably a bit of self preservation on myself to not um, get myself all worked up whenever we lose here. But I think Clemson's going to take this one, and it really comes down to that defense. This is Clemson's defense, hands down, is the best defense South Carolina's faced. Definitely since the AM game, maybe since the Georgia game. And I just don't know with all the improvement we've seen from South Carolina's offensive late, I just don't know if they can hold up against that rush. I agree with you. But now, on the flip side of that, to be the garnet glasses wearing guy that I am, we might be the best defense that Clemson's seen in a few weeks. Yeah, for sure. I think definitely since, you know, the Georgia game, probably. Right. I mean, they. Yeah. They, they have not seen anybody's defense that's a tremendous amount, um, even on our level. So, everybody's going to be fired up. It's going to be crazy. Can't wait to see what happens. Fans, enjoy it. We're going to enjoy it. Follow us on the social medias. You know the hashtags by now. Do the thing. Share this with your friends. Make this a Thanksgiving conversation at the Thanksgiving table. Learn some football with your friends and family. Thomas, have a great Thanksgiving. Go Cox. Tell the people bye-bye. You too, my, my friend, and um, make sure everybody thaws out your turkey before you drop it in the oil. Oh, good Lord, yes. Please do that. No fire departments. See you, everybody. <laughs>